Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode seven of Control the Corona Bulls with Evan Hoyt and Eden Silva, the longest standing British players at the 2019 Wimbledon as they made the quarterfinals of the mixed doubles. They're going to be discussing that and lots more. Enjoy the show, guys. Um, so welcome, guys. Evan Hoyt, Eden Silva, Wimbledon 2019 quarterfinals. How are we doing, guys? Good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi. Nice to speak to you. So it's all going well so far. And just a, a, little, bit, a little bit of background into you guys. So I'm going to start with the most important person first. So Eden. Um, <laughs> Doubles, doubles career high of 1-3-1 and currently 1-6-1 in the world. Excellent. And singles career high of 4-2-4 and, and currently 486 in the world. And then obviously from those rankings, which we'll be talking about today, Wimbledon mixed doubles quarterfinals is a, is a big career highlight. Yeah, that's it. Guys, just uh, for, from me, a big thank you to you two coming on today. It's uh, really looking forward to hearing your story. Uh, so I really appreciate the time that you're giving. Uh, just a short introduction to Evan. Evan, I think the last time I was on court with you was under 18s, Ireland versus Wales in Cardiff, at Cardiff Castle. And you were playing your, your partner, your training partner, Pete Bothwell. And, yeah, I- and I- I think you came out on top that time, and you've, you've, you've come a long, long way, man. And um, fair play to you. You've had a career high ranking of 319, a current ranking of 445, uh, career high in doubles of 217, and the current ranking of 273. And you've been training out in Soto tennis for the last three, three years or so with Dan. And um, you've done amazingly well, and you know, a quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Unbelievable. So uh, it's great having you two on here today. Thanks a million, guys. Yeah, no worries. And and how are you so how are you finding the current situation? Crazy world right now, huh? I think it's been like the lockdown has been going on for about two, three weeks now. Um, and I think the first week I really I really struggled with it. Like I just didn't know how to go from, you know, as tennis players and athletes, usually our schedule and our routine is super busy and we've always got, you know, something that we're doing and we're always traveling so to go from that to sort of readjust your daily routine into something completely different was quite quite difficult for me at first um but I think the trick is just to kind of still try to find stuff that you enjoy doing which you can do at home and um you know use this time to be a little bit productive and set yourself a sort of daily routine um, and I think I've kind of adjusted well to it now. Um, I'm not struggling with it as much. And I think because everyone is in the same position, it's kind of like you just have to get on with it and, you know, try to find stuff that you still enjoy doing without, without the tennis. And I'm sure people listening 
would love to know what that dating life if you don't mind sharing yeah so well i'll be doing about one or two fitness sessions every day um one in my garden and i've been so i've been using the uh house party app which i was telling you about earlier dan um so i've been doing it with a couple of my friends where we're working out together um so it kind of makes it a little bit more fun and you know just so you don't feel so alone throughout the day because you know we're all isolating and we're not you know spending time and socializing as much as we usually do so it's nice to sort of do even workout and fitness with a couple of your friends and it's kind of like motivating each other um so that's been really fun and also i've started a uh, online course on fashion design as well um i really enjoy like fashion and i've been you know doing a lot more sort of uh, focusing a lot more on doing that and doing some off-court stuff even before this um, quarantine and isolation happened um so it's something i really enjoy doing and yeah it's kind of passing the time a little bit and even after all of this isolation stuff is over it's something that i'll look to continue doing also becoming a tiktok star yeah <laughs> 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 uh, that's only when i'm really bored <laughs> That's last. Um, I've actually had the opportunity to still get on the tennis court each day, which is nice. And the the protocols out here in Portugal aren't too um, too heavy at the moment. I mean, people are being fairly sensible, staying at home. The only things that are open are like supermarkets and pharmacies. Um, but I've been able to get on this hotel court in Quinta de Lago with uh, Evan Morgan, who's a soccer player. So we've been doing about an hour, hour and a half each day, which has been nice. That's got me out of the house and kept me sane a little bit. So, so I haven't felt the full effects of lockdown yet. Um, but then also I've, for the most part, been at home in the apartment. Um, and I've been fairly busy. I've had like a load of projects going on. I'm still doing um, fitness training each day, whether that's you know going out for a run or some body weight uh, lifting here on the balcony. Um, and yeah, I've had some projects going on. So I made a, a mental mental guide um, and then been making a load of videos. So so I've been keeping active uh, mentally and it's helped me, helped me keep going. That's, uh, that's great, guys. And you, you kind of touched on it already. You're obviously creating a structure for yourselves and routines that you've been so you know, ingrained within your professional career and you're trying to create that again in isolation. But would you be able to, to let us know what type of physical training that you, you guys are doing uh, during this period? Um, so, yeah, obviously it's limited to what you can do because, I mean, haven't got a gym and loads of equipment at home. So, and you don't have a lot of like heavy weights. So I've just been trying to do a lot of like ab stuff and a lot of, I've been going like to the, the one time we're allowed out of the house a day been trying to do um some running um some interval stuff we've been doing a lot of skipping um okay. and yeah just trying to do a lot of body weight sort of exercises i know it's not ideal but if i'm doing that a couple of times a day then i feel like i'm you know being productive and getting something out of it absolutely and, and ev and on the, on the physical side for it as well but i know that you're you're doing a lot of the mental side as well. You know, so yeah. Can you, share, can you share some of that? Yeah, so I mean, uh, my 
most of my mental work I've been doing is in the morning. So I, I get up, have a bit of breakfast, and then I'll do two or three different types of visualization. So I'll um, I'll do, firstly do like a gratitude meditation. So just just think about what you're grateful for. Very simple things, whether it's your health, being around your loved ones, you know, being still being able to play a bit of tennis each day, whatever it is. I you know think about some of the things that I'm grateful for. Um, and then I also do one that's more of a focus exercise. Um, so I often use the Headspace app. So it's, and it's, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with the mental model that we use at Softer. So it's mental toughness is all basically being able to aim and maintain your focus uh, on your most helpful attention. So, you know, whether that's an external cue where you want to hit your serve or, um you know your your game plan so being able to put your attention on that before each point so that's where these meditations the focus meditations really help um so for the most part it's focusing on your breath whilst doing these meditations um and then when you find your mind wanders onto you know everyday life which it does it's, your, it's about your ability to recognize that and then bring your attention back that's a, another meditation that i've been doing um, and then another one's just, you know, focusing on your goals, what you want to achieve in life um, and, and even in your day to day, day to day. So, so those are the kind of few mental things that I've been doing each morning. Um, and I think that's that's really helped me to keep, you know, keep, keep a bit of motivation there as well, because it's easy to focus on all the things that you can't do right now. And by doing those things where you do shift your focus onto more positive things. I think I find it's helped me a lot. And, and in terms of this time, one thing, I mean, we're a little bit ahead of you guys in Spain. So we're coming up to a month now. Um, strict lockdown in Spain. So we can't get out for even our one, once a day exercise. It's certainly a time of reflection. I think once you start getting into two, three, four weeks that you're in your, a bit more of your own headspace. Any reflections, I guess the first part of the question is any reflections you guys have had on your careers that you're happy to share with us? And the second part of the question would be any reflections you've had on the, the, the sport of tennis and maybe anything, any changes that you would see and make? Or, um... Um, uh, yeah, go on, Ed. Oh, no, I think it's a tricky question. And one thing, having the time off to reflect is I think tennis is a journey at the end of the day and there's no there's no like correct solutions and correct answers it's it's a process and you've just got to try and figure out what works for you along the way because everyone has you know everyone can give you advice everyone can give you their their opinion on how you should do things but ultimately it's it, it's finding what works for you and Know, taking what what you think is useful and and discarding what's what's not um because like i said there's, there's no correct solution and um and you've just got to enjoy the process you've got to enjoy the ups and downs and and keep learning so that, that would be kind of my takeaway on my career a little bit i mean i've i've had success you know in, in juniors when i was very young when i was like 14 then when i was 18 i i got to like 50 in the world so i've I've had my ups and downs along the way and it, and it's it's just about learning and made lots of mistakes as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a process, it's a journey. And on that, Ev, obviously, those listening all know this, you, you pretty much had two years out due to injury. 
how, mm. how did you cope with that period of time out for so long? Um, and how do you then turn that into a positive in your career? To be honest, I, I was actually speaking to a journalist about a week ago now, and he made, he made me realize that this period right now that we're going through kind of being in isolation is very similar to what being out for about being out injured is like it, it's you can't do the things that you want to do and you've just got to find a way of being productive and doing what you can to engage your mind and keep improving so it's very similar to what we're all feeling right now you know i i, I was able to you know focus on my fitness a lot more um, I like Eden's doing now. I I started um, really focusing on my university work, which I've done three of three out of four years now. Um, so, so it's it's about finding ways to keep yourself engaged and keep growing and improving. So that's 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 what I'd say on that. Uh, I can completely see that. It's very similar. Eden, you had. Did you have an injury? You were out for quite a long time. Yeah, so about five years ago now, I was out for a year. Um, I had knee surgery. And yeah, like Evan said, it's actually pretty pretty much the same as, as that, you know. But whereas now it's like everyone is out injured. Um, so I remember when I was going through that time, it was obviously, it was I had to find ways to try and like stay positive and... You know, I think as sometimes as tennis players and athletes, because we're so like our whole life is about tennis and we get so consumed in, you know, tennis is the like the main goal in our lives that sometimes we forget like when that that gets taken away from us, you know, we sometimes we feel a little bit lost and you know, that's why I feel it's important to do stuff outside of tennis as well, so that when the tennis does get taken away, you can, you know, think, Okay, I'm also good at this. And I can also use my time on doing that. So it's not just, you know, tennis is the only thing that you have going on in your life. It's, it's one of the main things in our lives, but we're also, you know, there's other things that we could be doing and that we are good at as, as just human beings as well. So I think that's one of the main things that being, uh, being injured for such a long time taught me, which is why I think I'm kind of handling this situation a little bit better um, than if I wasn't injured. Yes, it's probably it's probably a great opportunity as well. Having spoken to other professionals over the last week or two, that you know, when you take something that you love away, that when you come back to it, you love it even more. You could be even hungrier when you get back to the tennis court. See see things a little bit clearer. It's like when you're out in the tour a lot, things can become a little muddy. You can be going just from week on to week off, and um, this is probably a great opportunity as you guys seem to be doing to grow mentally. Anything. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think. I mean, I actually listened in on one on uh, Johnny Murray's uh, podcast that you did with him, and th and that's one of his reflections was that, that I think in tennis and you know in life generally we can get so consumed by chasing points in the next week and the next week that we never actually take a while to just have a rest and reevaluate mm -hmm. and assess things. And I think that this period that we've got now is a real opportunity for us to do that. Um, I mean, I certainly have, have tried to listen to podcasts and I've actually listened to a few of um, Craig O'Shaughnessy's podcasts, yeah. you know, a statistician um, for, for the tour. And I've really learned some lessons from there. So when I, I know when I get back to um, Soto and back at base, I, I'm sure I'm going to try and 
you know, change my practice a little bit. I mean, we do a lot of stuff on, on the start of the point anyway. But I think I certainly am going to try and practice it a little bit more on serve return first two shots after that. Um, so it's definitely a time to reassess. And um, I think there's massive value in being able, being able to step away and, and uh, change what you're doing. For those listening just on that with the, with the Craig O'Shaughnessy stuff, it's, it's all around 70% of points finish zero to four. And, you know, with, with our practices, we tend to set our practices up or we, we can be guilty of setting our practices up to make a player feel good um, and, you know, constantly find rhythm. Whereas in reality, especially your kind of second serve points won in a tennis match is, is pivotal to who wins the match. But practicing second serve plus one drills is quite a chaotic and can be quite a stressful way of practicing because you don't always get the rhythm that you want. Uh, so anybody that is listening, it's, it's definitely worth looking into, into those things. And it would be great to I look forward to hearing even more from you on that as well, Evan. Um, yeah. In terms of just be, before we move on to, to Wimbledon 2019, any reflections on tennis itself, Eden? Anything that you think, do you know what? Maybe that change would be good for the sport. Um, any, any additions, any takeaways now that you've had a little bit more time to think? Um, I mean, I haven't given too much thought into it. I've just been trying to, you know, focus on the stuff that I can do as an individual to change for myself. Um, but I mean, I know there's a few few players at the moment who's trying to sort of voice out their opinions on um, like the WTA and ITF sort of looking after the players that are not just in the top 50 and top 100, but outside of that, who do struggle like on a daily basis when the tour is on to you know even break even um and now with the current situation it's an e it's even more of a struggle um financially and a lot of the players are sort of in limbo a little bit confused as and a little bit stressed as to you know not having an income because you know tennis is you know it's not a it's not like football where you have a salary you have to play and win matches in order to, to get prize money so i think um, it'll be good to see what I think a lot of the players are trying to come up with a sort of a players council um, to try and voice, like I said, voice their opinions to see if the WTA and ITF can do a little bit more to help support players who aren't in the top 100 or top 50. Um, and yeah. What's the difference? You two are, are, are unbelievably high level tennis players you know as we not just that we saw at Wimbledon last year but seeing how you guys compete to, to, with the very best in the world and your ranking is not just 400 in the world because 400 in the world as we know in the tennis world is an unbelievable level so what's the difference between 400 in the world who's not making money out of sport and top 100 what are the big differences there? Um I mean, <laughs> if I if I knew for certain, I, I'd probably be there. But but uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the higher up you go in the game, you it becomes more about the mental side of tennis. I mean, you get to three four hundred in the world, everyone can hit a good forehand, everyone can hit a good backhand. Um, so definitely, I'd I'd definitely say the higher you go, the more it becomes mental. 
and and I also think it's it it comes down to the the daily daily routines as well, doing the little details well, whether it's your shoulder IPM. You when I look up to all these guys who I've played through juniors who are now in top hundred, that they were always the ones that were, you know, spent their forty five minutes on court after a session doing their the shoulder IP or you know, played the match and then got back onto the practice court with, with their coach to work on some things that they worked, that they didn't quite execute as well as they wanted to. So I think it's down to the little details. It's it's not, you know, it's not a million miles away, but it's down to those daily habits and doing the things that others, you know, won't do. Just on that, Evan, and kind of um, brings me back to something that a guy from Ireland, Conor Ireland, he's the best player that we've ever produced out of this country. Um, you know, he's, he's about 120 in the world. But I remember him making the description of from when he was transitioning from futures to challengers, challengers up to into ATP level, that he described it actually that it became less frantic and it became slower as he, became, as he went up to the top end of the game. So when he was playing in Arthur Ashe Stadium and he was playing in Wimbledon, he actually felt that everything became a lot more structured at that at that level as opposed to futures level where he felt it was very frantic and very uh, very rushed is how he described it would that be yeah. something that you would have felt when you went from you know obviously from playing a lot of futures then into you guys going playing in, in a, at Wimbledon Grand Slam level yeah well I, I definitely think the the further you go up, and I know Eden's played some WTA events as well. I've not really had the opportunity to play ATP events besides Wimbledon so far. Um, but I think certainly you get a lot more done for you at those levels, whether it's, you know, transfers from the airport to the hotel, you get free accommodation. So you are taken care of a lot more and you've got a le lot less to worry about. Um, so no longer are you having to stress out about finding the cheapest flights and booking your you know your train from the airport to the accommodation or whatever it is so things do do become easier and you can then shift your focus on to the things that are most important so I can I can see in that way it would become less frantic for sure and to move to move gears a little bit like I said to you guys at the start one of one of the big things when we've set up these podcasts I thought about all the, the positive experiences and amazing experiences that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of and the people that I've, I've witnessed be, be a part of. And one of the big ones that certainly came to mind was, was you guys last year at Wimbledon. You know, and it's, it, what an unbelievable experience that was. And over to you guys, I suppose, talk to me, 2019 Wimbledon, mixed doubles quarterfinalists. But where did this all start? Um, yeah. Over to you. Started with me uh, DMing Evan on Twitter. <laughs> I was think I was thinking because I knew that I was getting a um a wild card with Beth um into the doubles. Um so I thought, you know, might as well, you know, sign in and try find someone to play with um in the mixed doubles and give that a go. Uh, so I thought of Evan, and it worked out okay, actually. Um, I think, yeah, it was just, I, like we were saying last year when it was all happening and we were being interviewed then as we were winning our matches, It's I think we did so well because we just didn't really 
have any sort of expectations. Um, we had a really tough first round, um, you know, playing two legends of the game. Um, and I was actually just like so surprised how we went out there and we weren't nervous or tight or anything. We were just playing really freely um, and enjoying ourselves and enjoying the moment. And I think that's the reason we sort of played our, our best tennis. And I think we gelled really well together and our games really complemented each other. Um, so yeah, it was just, a, it was a really enjoyable experience. And I was really upset last week when it was announced that, I mean, I knew it was bound to happen, but when it, when it gets like properly confirmed, it, it hits a bit different. So I was really upset that it was, uh, it's, there's not gonna be any Wimbledon this year, but you know, 2021, that's gonna happen. <laughs> you, uh, you might have missed it, but Evan was on Instagram live with Soto Tennis last week. And, and he, had, he made a proposal to you for Wimbledon 2021 and you either ignored him or you'd already left the, left the room. So can we get an exclusive here on this podcast? What? what? About it. So is this, can we make this official for, for 2021? What make what official? Do, what, do you want to play together? Do you want to play together <laughs> in 2021? Yeah, of course. You think I'm gonna just uh, ditch you for someone else? <laughs> I don't know. To... You know what? The other the other day, I was I was I don't know when it was. It was probably a few months ago, and um, I hadn't thought about Wimby at all. And I was I was I saw you'd done well in a tournament or something. So I checked your Resultina, and I saw saw you were one twenty in the world. And I was like, shit, she's gonna ditch me for one of the proper doubles players. It'd be a lot higher than one twenty to get into mixed doubles on my own rank. So you're safe. No, for but now. I was Salisbury next year. Jesus. <laughs> no, don't panic. Don't panic. We have to at least see our partnership through for two years in a row and see if it wasn't just a fluke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, following on from Eden's, uh, Eden's answer at the start, I think, I think it, all, it all stemmed from having no expectation because, I mean, first of all, I didn't even get my um, wild card into the men's doubles until literally a few, few days before. We didn't, we didn't get given a wild card with, um, so I was playing with Luke Johnson. We didn't get given our wild card um, in the first round of, um, or in the first meeting that they had about wild cards. It only got announced in the second meeting, um, so I wasn't even expecting to play the the men's doubles. And then that happened, and then on the back of that, I think Eden probably saw that. And and you know by that point, most of the doubles players had already organised their partners as well. So I think we kind of signed in together, just hoping that we might get given the chance because most of the top doubles pairs. You know we're we're gonna get the wild cards into the mix, um. So we signed in thinking that oh, there's probably not much chance, but might as well we'll give it a go. And then we when we saw we got the chance, but we were playing Leander Pays and Sam Stowe's. It was it was like I don't know. It was like I, at least in my heart I didn't really fully believe that we were gonna win. I mean I've never played mixed in, mixed doubles before in my life. It's my first Wimbledon. Um, but I think it helped actually that we, you know, we probably had that mentality and we could kind of relax into the match and enjoy it. Um, and then when we won that first match, it was like, wow, what have we just done? It's amazing. And um, 
and then we played the next match and we were actually playing a seeded pair then um, and we ended up beating them pretty routinely. I thought we played a great match. And then it was at that point that I actually started to believe a little bit because we, we played then uh, Vliegen and can't remember Vliegen's partner's name. Hey, Zhang. Zhang. Okay, yeah. And I've actually played Vliegen on the Futures Tour like, you know, six or seven times on the doubles court. And so all of a sudden it was like playing someone who I, who I knew I could beat and who I knew was, you know, you know I, I'm a similar sort of level to him. So I think it was in that third round match then that all of a sudden I started to have a little bit of expectation um, and realised that we could, could actually do well here. And uh, we ended up scraping through that match from a set down, winning the second set tie break, and then taking third, I think it was 7-5, on court two, which was amazing. Wow. And then, and, no, 6-4. 6-4 was it in the third. Don't give Even them another <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we were in the Wimby quarterfinal, which is cool. And uh, we were a break up in both sets as well against the eventual winners. Yeah, I was, th- I was actually thinking about that match the other day. and. Um... Yeah, just I was thinking that we were like four one up, I think, in the first set, um, and and then I think five two in the second. Yeah, um, I think I served for the second at five three, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that was the first match. I think we started off well, like we had in all our other matches, but I think that was the first time I sort of felt that you know, obviously, I think we played the the that match we played against the best team of the tournament for sure. So it was always going to be more of a tough match. Um, but I felt a little bit sort of, you know, we're in the quarters, you know, one more match away from the semis. We've won three matches already. And then that's sort of when the expectations sort of started to build up a little bit. And in those sort of pressured moments and pressured points, I felt that's when we weren't, you know, playing as freely as we had been. Uh, and it kind of showed a little bit. Because uh, we were in both sets and in the tiebreak. I mean, in the tiebreak, we were four love up, I think. So we were always in winning positions in that match. Um, so I think at that point, that's when I think their experience showed a little bit. And um, yeah, uh, I think the more we play at that sort of level, uh, the more the better we'll be able to to deal with it. But I think we played like a great tournament anyway. Hmm. Yeah. On that point, again, like I said, myself and John have been very fortunate speaking to a lot of you great tennis players the last couple of weeks. It's, it's the one common thing that you've all said. When you're, when you're in a mindset of enjoying the journey with no expectation, great things happen. Yeah. And my question to you guys, and it's not an easy answer, is how do we create that you know how do we create that mindset and and I, and I know you've looked into this a lot because you can overly look for that mindset as well is it just something yeah. that happens you know is that something we can bottle up um i know i th- i think i think i mean it's a it's just about shifting your focus, really, because we can get so intense. We can get so focused on the results and what people are doing and comparing ourselves that then tournaments and you know matches become about winning and and yeah, you put expectation on yourself when in reality we need to shift our focus more onto 
improving as tennis players and focusing on how we're performing and the level that we can bring each day. And actually, I can't remember, I was reading a book or listening to a podcast recently and it was talking, he was talking about, um, I can't remember the name of the basketball coach in, in the US, but he was saying that with his players, he's, he's, he's instilled a mindset in them that they, they judge whether they're winning or losing on their internally rather than externally because you can win, you can win a match and play garbage, you can win a match and play garbage. And, you know, if you judge that internally, you can actually judge yourself as having lost that match because you didn't perform to how you wanted to and, and you didn't do the things that you wanted to do on the court. But then at times you can also win matches, but, you know, uh, or you can lose matches, but play unbelievably well, put your, you put your game on the court and you've lost the match, but you can come off and judge that as a, as a win if you, if you judge it from a process and performance point of view. So I think it's about trying to, to put your focus on, on, on the process rather than results and expectation. But that's a hard thing to do. And it's, it's, it starts with a conscious decision to do that. Got, we've got, hopefully I'll still be around and, and I was very lucky to be a part of, part of the team in some small way during that, the Wimbledon run. And I hope that I'll be there in 2021. But you've got 18 months to, to work towards that because that, that will be that will be a real challenge as well. You know, how how you can approach the next Wimbledon that you play with the same fresh approach and, and, and having your mind on just, you know, enjoying the experience and, and doing what you did. It was certainly a pleasure to watch. And in terms of in terms of what you to give people a, a bit of an idea and insight into how Wimbledon works. You were there, you played, at, I believe it was the second Thursday that the, that the quarterfinal match was. So you were pretty much there for the full three weeks. There's a week before, then there's the two weeks. How does your day-to-day -day routine and, and world look um, during Wimbledon? Um, well, yeah, like you said, I think me and Evan both played uh, the singles qualifying as well. Um, so that was the week before the main draw started. So yeah, it was basically a full sort of three weeks. Um, Try to keep, we were lucky with the weather uh, with Wimbledon last year. The weather was amazing. So we was able to keep sort of the same routine every day and plan like practices and all that kind of stuff. And there wasn't any sort of disrupt, uh, disruptions. Um, I was traveling from home each day from East London. So it was about an hour to get to Wimbledon, but I mean, it was fine. I, we kind of got into the routine of that and it was nice to, after, you know, the madness of Wimbledon to kind of go back home and sort of regroup for the day and then come back and start fresh, fresh the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Evan, when we was playing the mixed doubles, we kept our practices pretty simple and fun. Um, we didn't have too much structure or anything like that, which I think helped. Sometimes I feel um things get a little bit too complicated and as you start winning matches you try to maybe do a little bit more and stuff like that so it was good that we were keeping things simple and you know keeping things the same from the first round match to the quarterfinals um but yeah in, in general it was just like a the day-to-day -day experience for Wimbledon was really fun and relaxed and uh, it was nice to have like my whole family there with my team. Um, so that was it was nice for them to all experience that as well. 
as 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 you guys were going through the the tournament and you you were winning this, uh, a couple of matches, was there any moments uh, that you felt you could win it? Um, I, I I don't recall ever getting to that point where where I was like, you know, wow, we could actually win this. I, I think it, we were, I mean the reality was we were still three wins away from doing that we we won three matches but still it was a long way away so we were kind of only halfway there if, if we're talking about winning it um but certainly i remember a lot of the media questions that we that we had and um, we, we were being asked that like do you, do you think you can win this and it was on um murray and Whit murray and williams as well you know what would it be like to play them in the final etc so we were we were being probed along along that lines but I, I don't think either of us really fully fully thought about that because um, we were all you know we for the most part we didn't really have much expectation and we were play, playing people who we've, who we've watched on tv for years so it was um yeah it was a cool experience for sure. I definitely I definitely think though as the matches and games or whatever went on I started to believe that we were of that high level and we weren't just you know there for the ride we were we were there and I thought we like I said we were of the of the level to go further and I think we proved to ourselves and to everyone else um that you know we we can play at that high level and we can play really good doubles and we were able to produce good tennis um even under a really pressured sort of situation and on the biggest stage in the world um and I think that sort of set me up for the rest of the year. Um, straight after that, I won a few doubles titles and got to a couple finals. So it gave me a real big confidence boost. And I was able to continue playing good doubles even after Wimbledon. So I was really happy, happy with that. You've, Eden, you've just answered my next question. Which is which is brilliant. So you know that because one of the things you you guys both spoke about was the word belonging. You know, and that was something that was quite a common word that I was hearing you guys use each day. You know, more and more that you 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 had a sense of belonging at that level, which I couldn't agree more with. So my question was going to be, how did that positively affect affect you for the rest of the year? Or can sometimes be the case with these experiences. It can sometimes have a negative effect moving forward. So it sounds like even that massively positively affected you, your career in the next couple of months. What about yourself, Ed? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that through the course of those three weeks at Wimbledon, having won matches uh, on, the, on the mixed doubles court, I certainly felt more comfortable in that environment um, having won matches and proved, pro almost proved myself. And so I think that's where experience is invaluable. Um, with experience, you can, you can start to feel comfortable in environments. And I've, I also felt that because um, for most of my tennis career, I've been playing futures level tennis and I had a really good year last year. And I got to the point where um, for the back end of the year, I was playing challenges pretty much week in, week out. And it was a similar sort of process. At, at, at the start, I didn't really feel like I belonged or I, I wasn't comfortable in that environment. And then the more I played, um, the more I got used to, you know, the guys on the tour, 
and I could practice with them. And, and all of a sudden, the more, more experience I got at that level, the more you, you begin to belong and believe. Um, so it was a, it was, it's definitely a, a massive part of, of the game. And on that, for, for both of you, and I guess linked to you, Eden, this year, I'm always supporting and watching from afar. I've noticed you have played you know, quite a few WTA events this year. Would there be any advice you'd give to up-and-coming aspiring tennis players in terms of scheduling? Would you guys now have a different take to how, how the schedule should look in order to gain that belonging? Um, so, yeah, this year I played two WTA events. Um, I mean, I was unfortunate last uh, at the end of last year. Um, I had to cut my um, season short a little bit and I was injured for about four months. So I just started playing again this February, um, which is a bit of annoying timings because I was ready to get back into competing and then, you know, the tour was cancelled. So, um, but in terms of scheduling, um, I just sort of, you know, so you start off at the 25k level, um, build confidence, try to find a sort of a solid partner you can play with week in, week out um, to try and build that good partnership and you kind of start to know each other's game a little bit more. Um, and then from, from there, me and Beth sort of gained confidence and won a few matches last year on the grass as well um, at a high level and at WTA level. Um, and yeah, the the points that you get at WTA level, you win one match and it's like winning, it's better than winning a 25. So uh, once you get at that level week in, week out, you can really build your comf uh, build your ranking up and uh, you're able to sustain that, that tour level and play those tournaments week in, week out. Um, and also what I found was when I was playing uh, those doubles, WTAs, you sign in for singles for qualies and 90% of the time you actually you get in so you're able to to build your singles ranking up as well you like like I said you win one match and it's like winning a 15k or something like that so it's um it's more of a sort of level where you can get a, a jump higher do higher jumps in the ranking um which I found was quite helpful and you're playing at a higher level which helps your game in general so yeah just to, to those, I'll over to you in a minute, Ev, with this, because just to those listening, where tennis, again, there's lots of unique things to tennis. You as professional tennis players, you schedule your own schedule, you know, or with your, with your teams, you know, whereas obviously in a team sport or most sports, you're kind of told who you're playing and when you're playing, you know, so it, it is, it, how important is scheduling, Ev, in terms of the impact it can have on someone's success? I think, I think it's massive. I mean, one thing, one lesson that I take out of last year, like I said earlier in the podcast, I, I started to play a lot more challenger events towards the back end of last year. And it was kind of a step up in level as such, you know, all the guys can play tennis and they're all, so all of a sudden I wasn't going into the tournament as one of the top players. I was going in at the bottom end of the rank of the ranking list. And and you're not winning as many matches. So I think this is kind of relevant advice to all levels. As we, as we climb up the levels of tennis, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself winning less matches, whereas at the level below you're, you're winning loads of matches. It can affect your confidence. So I think it's important when we are 
looking at scheduling, whether you're, you know, stepping up to play challenges or stepping up from the juniors to the, the futures, it's important to always schedule some tournaments where you can get four or five matches and build some confidence. So if I put it into my, my example, I think uh, it, it's always good to not always play the level that you can get into. It's sometimes good to drop back down into futures or play some British tours to play four or five matches, get your confidence up and then jump back to, into the challenges. So I think, I think that would be one, one thing that I'd take forwards and, and certainly one thing that I learned from um, Liam Brody. Actually, I was speaking to him in Canada after, after we had that Wimbledon run. He, the previous year he'd gone through, I think you know, he, he lost nine first rounds on the Challenger Tour. But he, he said he, he was just so stubborn <laughs> that he wanted to play challenges each week, each week, but he never, never gave himself the chance to drop back down into futures and win three or four matches to get that confidence back and then go back up. Just on just on it um, on advice again for for people listening and particularly for juniors I suppose that have done are doing doing well or have done well. What what how would you describe the transition from you know from juniors going into the professional level? Um, obviously yourself, Evan, you you're top fifty in the world. Uh, is that do you find that that the transition was tough? What are the big differences? Um, I don't know. I think things just become a lot more serious. It's a, it's a bit more of a, I mean, to be honest, I, I wouldn't say serious, but everyone, everyone wants to win. All of a sudden you're earning money and things are, you know, the, the budget's tight and everyone wants to win that extra $50 or a hundred dollars. And it, it's just got a different feel to it. Um, but one, one thing I'd say now, having kind of come through the future tour is that You've got so many guys that aren't taking it seriously at that sort of level. So if you if you can, you know, be disciplined and put in the work and have structure and travel with a coach when you can and take things seriously, you, you can get through that level. Um, you know, and and you can progress and start beating beating the guys that aren't taking it as seriously. Um, so so I'd say yeah, it's just got a different feel to juniors. Okay. Good advice, guys. <clears throat> and last, my, my last question of the day, actually, and it goes to Eden. <clears throat> I want to I wanna finish this, this podcast on a feel-good. Tell us about that point. <laughs> you know the one. Still, still holding on to that point, <laughs> even now. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a sort of memory and uh, video that I can I'll have forever and sometimes I watch it to make myself feel good <laughs> um, now I just I just remember you know I, I think Evan was kind of covering the court that he needed to cover but everyone the both the players were sort of gunning for me and uh, I think I remember it being quite an important point I think it was break point to us we were 40 love up and then it went to 40 30 um, so it was quite a big point to break them in the first set, um, but uh, yeah, I was just I was just trying to run for every single ball that I could, and I thought that going for that down the line shot. I mean, I don't, I doubt that it will work um, nine times out of ten, but you know, it happened. I happened to pull it off on the day, so I was pretty happy with that. Um, and yeah, it was it was 
so it was an amazing sort of point to win especially on quarter number two at Wimbledon I'd, I'd be happy with winning that point even at a 25k and god knows where so to to do it at Wimbledon was was pretty amazing and yeah I'll, re I'll remember that point for forever and I'll remember Evan's little jump thing that he did yeah. so I don't know what, what <laughs> I mean, you want to call it <laughs> I, I but that little jump always that. makes me smile I don't remember the point itself in real time. I just remember watching the replays of it on TV <laughs> and on social media afterwards. And I, I always remember my some sort of cross-legged jump <laughs> smile. Um, yeah, that was, it, was, it was a really cool, cool point to have been a part of, even though I was just standing there doing nothing. <laughs> and I think that, that, that whole journey, guys, and, and just to have a chance to kind of relive some of those memories has been amazing. It puts a good smile on my face, you know, and I, I like the same Eden. I like to watch the video of it as well, you know, <laughs> as much as much for the point as for as for the celebration by Evan at the end of it, you know, and it's certainly <laughs> put a big smile on lots of people's faces. Thank you very much, both of you, for your time today to, to come on and share that. I'm sure people are going to learn lots and, and enjoy listening to your insights. So thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks a lot, Dan and John. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, really looking forward to seeing you guys back in Wimbledon in 2021. Yeah, yeah. be there. It's official, Cheers. guys. Thank <laughs> you very much for listening. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Brilliant, guys. Thank you for listening, guys. Another fantastic podcast. A big thank you to Eden and Evan for giving their time up to discuss what was another very memorable experience for themselves. And, and just to let us share a little part of that with them was amazing. I hope you were enjoying the show. Please keep liking, sharing and getting these podcasts out far and wide. The, the knowledge that's been passed on is too good not to. So thank you a lot, guys, and look forward to you listening to the next show.